Welcome everyone to Nuck If You Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast that explains how your local team stacks up against the rest of the NBA. Hey hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com, spelled A-R-Y-S-E, and use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E.com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Hello and welcome to Nuck If You Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Brought to you, as always, by the Hoopheads Podcast Network and hosted by me, Devin Zanskis, of course. Uh, today, I'm actually recording from my new apartment. I have moved back down to Milwaukee, the good land, as uh, some like to call it. And yeah, I'm really excited to be back. I actually, I'm able to look out of my window from uh, the desk where I do my day job and I'm now recording and I'm able to see Lake Michigan from here. And if I step away a bit uh, from some some of the debris in my window from the outside, I'm actually able to see the, the, the waves too from Lake Michigan. So that's a little fun anecdote for you. Um, but let's get into it. First of all, I wanted to wish a happy three months to my lovely little niece, Elsie. Uh, Elsie Eve, that is. Uh, may your bright smile grow even bigger than we've seen it grow throughout these past few months. Uh, love, Uncle Dev. And uh, also, shout out Fisher. It was really fun seeing you on FaceTime, uh, scooting in that uh, new scooter that you got for your second birthday, bud. But super proud of you both and love you very much. Um, love, Uncle Dev. And second of all, moving into the basketball talk. Uh, we have some exciting news that we have ourselves a trade. Whoa, what's that? A trade? Yeah, that's right, a trade. However, this trade is not uh, not necessarily involving your Milwaukee Bucks, but your local Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Uh, again, brought to you by the Hoopheads Podcast Network. Nuck if you buck is sending this advertisement to Rocky Rococo Pizza and Pasta in exchange, uh, said podcast host, uh, yours truly will be receiving a jar of the famous Rocky Rococo pizza sauce and a coupon for a whole pie. Uh, I believe the trade details were a large whole pie and specifically for a Rococo Chicago, but uh, I assume that could be redeemed for any specialty uh, or build, build your own whole pie. So those are the exciting trade details. However, that hasn't quite been called into the league office yet as uh, actually still need to find a way to get in contact. Well, however, I do know how to get in contact with them. I just wasn't able to uh, personal message as directed on Twitter that some of you may have seen. So I just I went on onto the website and there is a way to contact them. I just have to fill out a form 
and uh, include whatever attachments I may have to, but I will definitely keep you posted on this uh, Rocky Rococo saga, and hopefully it isn't as long as, excuse me, the uh, Rocky Rococo uh, debacle with uh, Locked On Bucks, and specifically Locked On Bucks' is Frank Madden, uh, which was the motivation behind this, and well, one, uh, Frank and Kane of Locked On Bucks, uh, if you're listening, which I of course assume you are, you have an open invitation to join me on Nook If You Buck. So, yeah, I assume you guys will be hearing from both of us very soon because obviously they're listening to this like everyone else is. But um, hopefully I get my uh, coupon and sauce is where I was going with that. Um, but yeah, I'll keep you tuned. And now we'll be moving into the actual basketball talk, not that fake uh, basketball talk. Um, and that is, um, so this week on uh, Milwaukee Bucks social media, uh, they were celebrating Middleton week. So uh, why wouldn't we do the same here on the uh, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast, Not Coffee Buck, as I've mentioned Um so I thought I'd share a couple anecdotes straight from the Milwaukee Bucks social media play, uh, page. They did uh, provide a little bit of Milwaukee Bucks, or rather Chris Middleton, uh, trivia on their Instagram story, which, uh, by the way, I got 100% on this trivia, if it's a shock to anyone out there. Um, so that trivia included some Chris Middleton facts of... Uh, him posting a career-high 20.9 points and 6.2 rebounds per game, and he also tied uh, a career-high of 4.3 assists. He was, of course, drafted by not the Milwaukee Bucks, but the Detroit Pistons back in 2012, and was selected uh, only 39th overall. So the Pistons and... uh, Eventually, via trade, the Bucks uh, also got Chris there for a steal. Uh, Chris uh, attended high school in Charleston, South Carolina at a Porter God High School. That's G-A-U-D, God, I guess. Uh, apologies if I have any pronunciation errors there. Chris, maybe you can, maybe you can hop on the pod too and you can uh, uh, teach me how to say your uh, alma mater's name. But Chris also posted a career-high 51 points versus the Washington Wizards in an overtime victory on January 28th. Fun fact, just a day after my birthday. And I'm sure we, we all remember that that fun, exciting game. And we'll get into more details of that later. Uh, Chris was... I thought this was the most fun fact of the bunch here. Chris was the first... Uh, NBA G League alumni to become an NBA All-Star. Uh, he's since, I know, he off the top of my head, he's been joined by a Pascal Siakam. And that's all that I know off the top of my head. But hey, pretty cool. You would have thought that would have happened uh, before. I wonder if there's an asterisk there on uh, when the now G League was known as the, uh, the D League, but is that right? I've been saying G League for so long now that I say say D League, I'm questioning it. But I'm I'm pretty sure it was D League before G League. It'd be quite funny if I got that wrong. But 
Uh, also, last trivia fact there was that Chris had his highest scoring output, of course, in game four of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Heat. Uh, also, another uh, career high of sorts in an overtime victory um, and where he had 36 points in that battle. And now I will go through some of the history of a James Christian Middleton. Yes, Chris Middleton, uh, his birth name is not uh, just that uh, K-H-R-I-S. It is James Christian, of course, with K Middleton. And um, it's funny, of course, uh, Basketball Reference provides nicknames for all of their players, but uh, um, there, there are some funny ones there. Of course, there's the cash money, but there is also a WD-40 and uh, Baby baby Joe Johnson, which I thought was uh, pretty accurate. Of course, the, the WD-40, I have no clue what that is in reference to in the slightest, but uh, Baby Joe Johnson's pretty accurate uh, for anyone out there who's familiar with Joe Johnson's game. As I had alluded to earlier, Chris was... Acquired via trade from the uh, Detroit Pistons, and it was uh, just after his first year there. Uh, he only posted like a uh, six point one points per game in um, yeah six point one six point one points per game and round uh, seventeen minutes per game, and he also only played. Uh, about 27 games there. Oh, yes, there are the numbers. I don't have to say it off the top of my head. In his first season, he averaged 6.1 points, uh, 1.9 rebounds, and 1 assists in 17.6 minutes in 27 games. And he was acquired along with Brandon Knight and and a Vlachislav. Wow, am I butchering that? But if you saw the spelling on this, you'd understand Vlachislav Kraftsov. I've never tried to say that name out loud before. I do vaguely remember him uh, on the roster or at least being included in this trade. But more importantly, um, that ended up being a steal for the Bucks, getting getting Chris Middleton, now a two-time All-Star, and Brandon Knight, who also was... Uh, well, maybe not the most valid uh, talk there, but there was uh, rumors of him being a kind of in, in the borderline all-star conversation in his peak peak years with the Milwaukee Bucks. Of course, that never came to fruition, but it did for uh, our Chris Middleton twice and counting. Chris also, interestingly enough, of course, he was... He was a second round pick, and this was all the way back in 2012. He made less than 500000 in his first season, but then that jumped all the way up to uh, just shy of, of a million in both of his uh, following seasons. So, yeah, it, not, not, in a, not by my standards, but for NBA standards, he was not making a ton of money early on. And then, so this is now... Um, after his uh, second, or pardon me, in his first season with the Bucks, and now his second season, he nearly doubled his output across the board. Of course, a lot of that had to do with him uh, averaging exactly uh, 30 minutes per game and 
uh, shooting a a forty point four percent from from three in his first year with the Milwaukee Bucks, and um, and that was also Giannis's rookie year was when it was his uh, first season with us, and this is also sparking a memory of mine back when let's see this would have been two K twelve rather two K thirteen actually. In each of Giannis and Chris's first season, they were both only a 59 overall, which uh, for the few of those out there who who rarely uh, play 2K or haven't before, that's that's like an atrocious rating. You, you probably wouldn't even see, for example, in 2K20, you will uh, you'll seldom see players with overalls of a 69 let alone a 59 even being on an active roster for a team but that's just where the bucks were at and uh i guess also where 2k was at at that point anyhow um after those 59 overalls and the 30 minutes per game 41 percent shooting from three in his first year with the milwaukee bucks chris proved that his uh success in the prior year was no fluke and was improving and improved his stats again while keeping an above 40% uh, uh, three-point percentage there. And then the following year, he would show even more growth and even more opportunity as he was uh, able to average a 36.1 minutes per game. Can you guess who our coach was at that point? Yeah, it was uh, Jason Kidd. (laughs) <laughs> just considering uh, the minute totals there. Um, but that also sparked a uh, jump to 18.2 points per game for Middleton. And then following that season, he would sign a four-year. Uh, it ended up being in total a $57.3 million over those, those four years, which is a total uh, bargain and I mean, I mean, talk about bargains. Let's let's go back to the point where I had mentioned where Chris, where Chris was making less than a million dollars a year, yet he was, yet he was averaging, um, roughly he was averaging twelve point one, uh, points per game in his second season with us, and then if memory serves me right, he was averaging a thirteen point. For, yep, I'm switching back over to basketball reference, a 13.4 points per game in his third season at a, right at 30 and 30.1 in those two seasons and over 40% in both of those first two years. Talk about bang for your buck there. <laughs> no pun intended, but that that would that would persist as as then after having a 40% three-point shooter scoring in the teens at less than a million dollars, um, it still was was a total bargain to get him at then an 18 points per game at a salary. Starting off, uh, he had signed a front-loaded contract, actually, which was broken down in the first year where he made $15 million exactly in the 15-16 season. Then it went up by two hundred thousand in his second season, and uh, we'll 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 go through kind of some complications in in that what would have been his fifth season and second on that uh, fifty seven million dollar contract. But then his following two seasons, he averaged uh, 
he averaged 20.1 points per game and then an 18.3 uh, points per game in that in that first season under Bud. But his contract even even went down after that point. In fact, in that 20.1 points per game season, he he was only earning a 14.1 uh, million dollars, and then in the first Bud season, he was making only 13 million dollars, which is just absolutely uh, absurd for uh, someone with his kind of with his kind of uh, two way ability and scoring talent as as he's proved and what made him earn the contract that he has now and the Bucks cer- certainly would not be taking that back at all. And uh, as I had mentioned before, Chris had somewhat of somewhat of a down year in the. Uh, second season of the aforementioned contract, however, that's not uh, really an indictment on him at all because in uh, September of 2016, heading into the 2017 season, Middleton slipped on a wet spot during a pickup game and he tore his hamstring. And that led to him uh, only playing in 29 games and uh, starting in in only 23 of those and returning on February 8th. And it was kind of funny, another anecdote from a uh, Bleacher Report article regarding this injury that I saw was uh, a season preview saying to look for second year um, Rashad Vaughn to start in lieu of Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon to serve as Vaughn's backup. Now, it sounds... That statement there sounds pr- pretty twisted. Of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, as I like to say on almost every single uh, "knuck a few buck" episode. But um, Rashad, um, clearly, this was before Malcolm Brogdon had ever played a regular season game for the Milwaukee Bucks, and after this season, he would become uh, Rookie of the Year over a Joel Embiid who played in a similar number of games compared to. Uh, Chris there that we just mentioned but also Bucks fans do have a bit of a sour taste in their mouth uh, when it comes to Rashad not not having anything to do with him as a person but um, kind of the the idea of him as a shooter and having size at at the at the wing spot kind of not coming to fruition uh, I remember uh, close friends of mine when we would discuss Rashad Vaughn. He they often would refer refer to him as a as a shooter who can't shoot, and I think that that uh, does a pretty good job summing up Rashad Vaughn. There, uh, yeah. Uh, sh- shout out shout out the homie Bradley for for that synopsis. But apologies, Rashad. Again, if you're listening out there. <laughs> um, not the personal man. I know you. I know you could give me a bucket. So, who am I to say anything? But then that following season, where uh, kind of um, starting to show a bit of a theme in Chris Chris Middleton improving, improving people wrong in that in the season following only starting twenty three games, he started in all uh, eighty two games and had that uh, that twenty. 20.1 scoring output in 36 minutes per game and he unfortunately didn't didn't make the all-star team that year and he didn't make it behind an Al Horford who um, only put up 
uh, points per game at that point. Although we also have to remember that other factors besides scoring output come into play with, um, pardon me, with when it comes to All-Stars. In fact, team success plays plays a, l- a large role. The Celtics had only one other All-Star besides him at that point, and that was Kyrie Irving, but they had they ended the season with a 55-27 and 27 record. So it's understandable that uh, a team that would end up as the two seed that season would have would be allowed to have uh, two all-stars before the seventh seed and eventual 44 win Milwaukee Bucks. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't really have, have a strong argument for that. In this specific case, more so I could argue that that maybe maybe a, a 12.9 point per game <laughs> scorer isn't the most fun thing to see in an all-star game, but all-star games are more important for other reasons. Um, unfortunately, they come into play along with incentives and affect whether or not one is in uh, when you're making Hall of Fame cases for players. And we all know that Al Horford, um, the Al Horford of old, not, not so much with the Philadelphia 76ers, provides... Um, more on the defensive end than he would the offensive end. Um, I guess in a similar ilk to Al Horford there, we have a a Kevin Love who was putting up a respectable 17.6 points per game on an eventual 50 win. And uh, fourth seed, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, their only other all-star, of course, was a LeBron James because we, we had just mentioned that Kyrie Irving was on the Celtics at this point. And um, then it brings back the whole conundrum of of which team deserves to have two All-Stars versus another, which, um, you, I mean, you're, you're allowed to have your own stance on that. I don't hate, hate it as much as I've mentioned. And then on the flip side, we had a Chris Dapps Porzingis, whom I'm not sure if he actually played in the game. I don't believe he did because he only played uh, roughly 48 points per game. What am I saying? 48 points per game. I'm losing it here on a on a Sunday evening. But he only played a forty a number of 48 games that season uh, while still putting up the, the very impressive 22.7 points per game. However, that was on a um, a sluggish 29 and 53 eventual uh, 11 seated New York Knicks squad. I bet there was a, probably a bit of of New York uh, big market bias going into that, but it's hard to argue against those twenty two point seven points per game. What I would argue about is have is having a having a twenty nine um, a twenty nine win team and eleventh seed being represented in the All Star game, even though really that's not what most fans would be looking at. I think it is important to take into consideration how how um like I said how how these kinds of of uh, all-star game appearances affect a player's legacy um but but if I'm on if I'm being honest it does of course vary by situation so it's hard to make uh hard rules on this and there aren't obviously uh hard rules on this cuz I mean, I definitely 
did not argue with having having a uh, Bradley Beal or Trey Young on the All-Star, All-Star team this season, but it's a little different when those two are pushing uh, 30 points per game. All right, moving on from there, this was also the season where Chris Middleton had was scorching hot against the Boston Celtics in the first round. If you'll all remember, um, he averaged a 24.7 points per game in that series and shot an astounding 60% from the field and 60% from three in 39.3 minutes in a series in the first round that would uh, end after seven games and not in the favor of the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> um, I, I believe I did point out um, on last episode that this was the famous um, 20 minutes for a Jason Jet Terry and and a three minutes for a uh, Tony Snell just really just running running out there running around there getting no stats uh, Tony Snell there <laughs> I don't know where I was going going with that some of you might be familiar with that meme um, but in the following season, after uh, the Joe Pronti disappointment, we would um, that disappointment would be followed up by excitement when we hired eventual coach of the year, Mike Budenholzer, and uh, we would obviously have our uh, 60 win team of last season and this season. Um, however, in contrast to that those 39.3 uh, minutes per game, that was, of course, elevated in the playoffs for Chris Middleton, but he was brought down to, if you'll give me a moment here, a 31 or 31.1 uh, minutes per game in the regular season, which led to him only putting up uh, 18.3 points per game. However, this was his first time being an all-star. So, yeah, all that, all that talk before, I think I went a little long on the Al Horford, Porzingis, and Kevin Love, uh, all-star consideration the year prior. Um, uh, patience did pay off here for Chris, as he has now had two all-stars appearance appearances compared to none from the other three combined. And, but uh, despite that all-star appearance, uh, one big uh, Chris Middleton story stood out to me from this year and there are a couple ways to look at it and I'll just I'll just uh, read out the story here if you'll remember it was a, a loss in early December and I didn't even remember whom it was against but it was a loss to uh, said sluggish uh, a said sluggish New York Knicks roster from before an overtime loss where Chris Middleton was benched in the fourth quarter in overtime. And uh, Mike Budenholzer had had mentioned uh, first he was citing how Sterling Brown was doing well and was impressed and didn't want to take him out. But really, he kind of he kind of cut the BS pretty quick. And and yeah, he, he ended up saying that Chris Middleton had maybe taken the brunt of the message uh, for the team and then it would. It wasn't that big of a headline eventually because it would it would come out that Chris said to the media that we had had a conversation and both got on the same page and that's what what's important. He'd also mentioned that Bud laid down some of his concerns and that Chris wholeheartedly agreed with him. So yeah, major shout out to Chris Middleton there actually for uh, remaining humble despite his 
his career success and being able to accept responsibility and that maturity I'm sure came came a long way in becoming the player that he is today. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Knuck If You Buck with Devin Zanskis. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and our other three team-focused NBA pods, Grizz and Grind, Cavalier Central, and the 305 Culture Miami Heat podcast. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Pod, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Um, now I should mention um, ex- exactly the kind of concerns that Mike Boonholzer had in there, and this is from a Journal Sentinel article from um, the amazing uh, Matt Velasquez, um, yeah, I, I love I love his his work there. I would I would definitely recommend checking his work. And if you do see stories on the Bucks from him, he's definitely a source to trust. I especially um, really respected his 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 heart his harsh yet very um, let's just say accurate criticism of the Bucks uh, in these playoffs. And yeah, I've I've just respected that in particular, but that only uh, added to the respect that I already had for him. But yeah, he was saying that, without further ado, he was saying that um, Chris, late in the third quarter, was um, he was shown not grabbing an easy rebound and also not closing out nearly enough or at all on three-point attempt, as I had said, late in that third quarter. So yeah, those... Just showing a lack of effort there in a, a quick succession led to him being yanked out of the game. But um, overall, overall, as as we had said, a successful season for Chris and the Bucks, being an All Star, uh, eighteen points per game is no slouch, especially on in uh, in thirty one point one minutes per game and on a sixty win team that would uh, be four wins away from. From uh, the NBA Finals that actually, as we speak, started about 16 minutes ago. So I, I, I wonder if you guys are tuning into that because I haven't honestly watched a ton of it. And it's I'll remind all of you, as I have before, it's not my job to, to, to be able to report on everything on the Miami Heat and Los Angeles Lakers. But... Um, but also, let's let's be reminded with the circumstances of the world around us, we may not have basketball after this for a really long time, and we don't know how long it will stick around um, when when it does come back. So, definitely don't take don't take um, basketball, the NBA, and specifically specifically Le- LeBron James for granted, and tune into this game because it was a really fun end to uh, game five there and maybe I can share some notes at the end but let's get back to Middleton week here and now we're we're approaching um, current day Chris Middleton where he of course had had an amazing and career high uh, 20.9 points per game just narrowly missing out on 50 40 90 with 
while shooting uh, 49.7% from the field, 41.5% from the three-point line, and 91.6% from the free throw line. And he, he did all of this with his lowest minutes total since since he averaged that uh, 17.6 minutes per game in Detroit with only uh, just a decimal point shy of 30 minutes per, per game at 29.9. And he was, of course, an all-star again. And something I had I had um, kind of missed out on, or I didn't miss out on this at the time, but I had sort of forgotten that Chris actually did miss a chunk of time there for us in the beginning of the season, but he happened to miss all of um, some of those easy games that we were getting back in November. And this, of course, attributed to our 18-game winning streak. Um According to an NBA.com, this injury um, was a left thigh contusion, and that he received that he um, that he got in a uh, narrow victory against the OKC Thunder during said win streak. He had missed uh, only a total of seven games within the win streak, and um, although he didn't start the next three and was limited to just about twenty minutes per game in those games. Um, some of that may have been due to a minutes restriction. Another reason, may, maybe was um, was some of those blowout losses. I know right around there is when we had a forty point win against the Charlotte Hornets. But it was originally reported that Chris would miss uh, three to four weeks there with that left eye contusion, but he only ended up missing a total of seventeen uh, days there. So another shout out to Chris for just. I guess being a real one for lack of a better term. <laughs> um, and then um, of course um, we'll, we'll move, we'll move on to the playoffs that we're not far removed from and we don't need to quite rehash here, but let's, let's be reminded that uh, Chris did average a 25.6, um, 25.6 points, uh, six rebounds and 6.8 assists uh, throughout the playoffs. And this included, the uh, 36, 8, and 8 performance in 48 minutes um, with that uh, game five overtime victory when he hit when he hit that uh, step back. Um, it, was, it was more of a between the legs crossover than a step back, but he had a little shimmy to him there in which he would he'd splash the three right in uh, a Tyler uh, Harrow. Yes, Harrow, not Hero. Don't need to get into all that noise right now. Um, shout out to him though for representing uh, the good land as well as he is right now. But uh, that shot, at, as I had mentioned, uh, Chris hit in Harrow's face, who was having, who had an impressive series himself, and that would uh, give us our sole victory of that uh, disappointing Eastern Conference semifinal series. And then carrying on with Middleton Week, we had. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks social page shared their top five plays for um, Chris Middleton this season. I'll just go through the five. Uh, first one you may not remember, but it was a um, one in, in which he he poked the ball away from um, from behind Buddy Heald, and then um, the steal was recovered by a Sterling Brown, and then he he would have an easy dunk on the other end that's number 5 at number 4 coming in we'd have we'd have his behind the back crossover um 
in which that sent a Devin Booker to the ground and then led to Chris uh, splashing the open uh, deep mid-ranger there. Of course, there's some speculation as to whether it was a true uh, breaking of the ankles or if Brooke Lopez uh, uh, got, got his foot in the right place to uh, send that other Devin off balance there. But this is a Milwaukee Bucks podcast, so... Uh, yeah, we'll we'll say he broke that that young Devin's ankles. Uh, not this one recording, of course. We're 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 talking about the Phoenix Sun. Anyhow, the um, at coming in at number three was a three again, similar to that um, the three that Chris hit in the face of Harrow. He did the same, quite eerily similar play and circumstance. Uh, despite the importance of the games where uh, Chris hit a three in the face of Shabazz Napier in an overtime win versus the Washington Wizards. I believe this was a different uh, Wizards game than that 51-point output. This might have been about a week or so after that. But yeah, it seems like Chris may be, the Wizards may be to Chris Middleton what for a while the Brooklyn Nets, uh, especially the previous iteration of the Brooklyn Nets, was to... Uh, a Giannis Antetokounmpo where uh, my my friend my friends would definitely know that I've pointed out where he just it well I, I don't I don't want to use <laughs> I don't want to use uh, tasteless language that I maybe would in the past but he he definitely has has himself a day against the Brooklyn Nets Giannis does or at least he he did in the past when when they when they didn't have a uh, have a uh, Kyrie Kyrie Irving in a new roster. Uh, around him and eventually Kevin Durant, of course. Number two of those uh, top five plays was the uh, the three in the face of Tyler Hero that I had mentioned before from Game Four of the Eastern Conference semifinals, and a dagger to bring us our only win. But we all know how how that went down. So I'll move right on to number one, and that was a dunk in traffic for uh, Chris Middleton. That I'm sure we'll all remember, and especially because of the game, which was the earlier of the two uh, Wizards games now mentioned in this top 10, where Chris had his 51-point output and was um, the reason for that Wilt Chamberlain-like photo op that that we all know where he's where he's holding the 51 sign there and uh, was also shared on my Instagram story today when asking for mailbag questions, which leads me into my mailbag question. Now that we're up to date on Chris Middleton, and this comes from a co-host of the Pick and Roll podcast, along with Jared Cohen, there's a uh, Mike Hankey, and he he straight up asks, uh, Chris Middleton or Michael Red, who would you rather have? And for me, I'm really, now obviously I've seen a lot more of Chris Middleton than I have Michael Red, just considering my age, only 23 years old here, I was uh, quite a wee lad back in the day in my my obsession with the sport didn't start until a little later on, but I guess just to start off, I would choose Chris Middleton, and my initial reasoning for that would be his size and three-point shooting, but we'll go through here how how awfully similar these two players really are. In my, in my mind, Chris Middleton was definitely was definitely uh, taller than Michael Redd, but they're listed... Um, at an eerily similar um, six six foot seven for Milton, six point uh, six foot six for Michael Red, and they're each right around two hundred and twenty pounds according to Basketball Reference. Um, 
And then, and then the other major piece was uh, the three-point shooting uh, for Middleton, but we know that Red was not a slouch in that area either, and his era of the 2000s didn't emphasize three-point shooting uh, as much, so he doesn't have nearly the same amount of attempts up, but we uh, we all we all rightfully believe that that Red could have similar production back, um, well, rather in this day and age if he if he was able to take uh, a handful more threes per game. Middleton uh, shot, in, so this is in both of the their careers with the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Chris put up a 39.4 uh, three-point percentage in his Bucks tenure, while, uh, while, Red, while Red put up a 38% flat from three-point range. Pretty crazy, pretty similar there. And also what's really similar is their two-point percentage. Um, Chris Middleton was is famous for his mid-range game, specifically in this era, but uh, Michael Red could definitely fill it up at all three levels as well. Chris Middleton with the slight advantage there, the two-point percentage of at a 49.2 uh, two-point percentage compared to Red's uh, 47.5. Now, the big case for Michael Red is the point-per-game output. Now, Red averaged a 20 points-per-game flat over his long Milwaukee Bucks tenure, and over, over Chris's extended tenure with us, he's averaged uh, just shy of 17 points per game at 16.9. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's not really... I mean, it's a, it's a pretty stark difference there, and... I'm scrolling up on these pages here because uh, so Chris's top scoring output so far was that 20.9 points per game this season, whereas Michael Red's was he averaged 26.7 points per game in his age uh, 27 season in 07, which is crazy. That's near that's nearly uh, that's 5.8 points more than than Chris's top year. However, we, we do have to take into account that that the Bucks did not have the type of weapons that uh, is around Chris Middleton. Obviously, there was no Giannis Antetokounmpo around. And this is that's what allows... That, in part, is what allowed Michael Red to, to have this scoring output. Now, that's not... I, I, guess, I guess this is kind of a... It does... Uh, put a damper on his case a bit here, but it's, it's, it's only fair when comparing the two. Cause maybe, maybe Chris could have had similar output. Uh, if, if he, if he and red were to switch places. Um, but also I could see where people would say that red may, uh, make up for the, the tiniest of differences there with the percentages in, uh, in this day and age. And maybe he could also make up for the scoring gap that is between the two. If the, if Red and Middleton were to flip, uh, if he were to have taken more three-point shots, because let's see, in this uh, 26.7 point per game season, Red attempted uh, 5.8 threes, whereas um, Middleton, uh, it's actually pretty similar, but it, so in Middleton's highest uh, average was 6.2, and this past season he actually averaged a point one less per game than red so wow he was at red was actually really filling it up at the three-point line there so maybe that that does make 
make the cases between them more more even and less uh, era dependent. Um, but yeah, Red only had the, the one all-star season in 04 um, where he averaged uh, 21.7 points per game, still higher than Chris's uh, top output per game. But I bet that also has a lot to do with his... Uh, excuse me, yeah, his, his all-star status does have a lot to do with the team's uh, lack of success. Um, and although that's not necessarily Michael Red's fault, it it does uh, sort of hurt his case there. So, yeah, I'm 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 sitting here clearly struggling and rethinking rethinking it here, but I I think I'm still gonna gonna go with Chris Middleton for uh, the slight improvement in three point shooting and slight. Uh, advantage there with his with the size and um, yeah with size and being able to to defend larger wings which is which is exceedingly important in this day and age but yeah you you could you could persuade me <laughs> you could pers- persuade me probably to go the opposite way anyhow we have our second mailbag question uh, of the evening, and this is from uh, my lovely brother, uh, Drops of Drupiter. Shout out my brother, Drew, for always supporting the podcast. Um, he asks uh, if Chris, and then he later added the same question could go for Ursan, if their careers were to unfortunately suddenly end, would they belong in the Bucks Hall of Fame and have their jerseys retired? Um, it's kind of interesting because I don't really I don't really know much about uh, this uh, Bucks Hall of Fame. Maybe this is kind of more more of my job and the sign that I need to do a little more research on this. But um, I kind of am thinking about the um, the Packers Hall of Fame, and I I feel I feel like they they include a lot of a high volume of 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 the players who have played in their uh, franchise history. Obviously, there are a lot more uh, football players on a team at once than basketball players. But I mean, I, d- I don't see why they both can't be in a hall in in their uh, in a specific team's uh, hall of fame. But where I'm kind of more familiar with the jersey retirement and the precedent there, and what that means to me, that's that's an enormous honor. And and I kind of don't. It feels silly to say because it is just. I mean, it's it's there's like should be no negativity around this at all. It's just a celebration of a player's career and what he's provided uh, for a franchise. And and Urson certainly done that uh, in nine seasons, maybe counting for for the Milwaukee Bucks. So I definitely would not be upset if his jersey were were to be retired. However, I believe Chris is only truly deserving of it, and maybe Michael Michael Red too. They both share a number, and I could see. Similar to Giannis and Ray Allen, I could see them retiring uh, both jersey numbers, but twice for two separate players. Now with Urson, I just I, it hurts to say, but I just feel like he, although he he was a solid contributor for for us for many years. I'm just glancing again. It looks like he has one, two, three, four, five. Five, and I'm just looking at Milwaukee Bucks. So he has five seasons. 
with the Milwaukee Bucks where he averages uh, in the double double digits in uh, in points per game. But that 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 could be said for a lot of players around the association. So although he's he's no slouch, basically that's his his argument for having his jersey retired is that he's no slouch and he's been with the team. Although it was for the amazing um, nine seasons, and he was w- with us through some rough times. With maybe adds to it too. I just don't think he's the he's he's at that uh, quality of play where he's earned to have his jersey retired despite the precedent there with the Milwaukee Bucks and having some questionable uh, Jersey Jersey retirements there. In my opinion, I'm not going to name any names because I already feel a little bad for what I've, what I've said about Ursan Ilyasova. And uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame any uh, <laughs> anyone. If it sounds like this episode, particularly, I may have some recency bias, um, but it doesn't look like we're doing too bad on time, actually, for once. If you can't tell, I tried to... I'd like to kind of bring down the length of this podcast. So, um, so yeah, I'm trying to have this within an hour or at least an hour tops. Usually, I aim to have it at 45 minutes tops. But uh, without further ado and without making this episode any longer, I'll get to my third uh, mailbag question. And this was a, a tr- they're asking, uh, what would a, what would a trade package be for a Victor Oladipo? Now I find this very interesting. Obviously, I think that that Bucks the Bucks do have to make some big some big change. I think clearly the huge playoff disappointment can't might not be something that we can just fix on the fringes of our roster, despite the lack of flexibility that the Milwaukee Bucks have. And I think Oladipo is kind of right in that sweet spot of of a high-impact player, probably a buy-low opportunity on him, but also there could be a, a pretty high reward there, although he isn't the same 23-point-per-game uh, scorer like he was in back, I believe it was the 20, uh, 2017 season. He could definitely be a really good contributor and What's tough is that his contract is expiring after this year, so we could hypothetically lose him for nothing, which is maybe the biggest reason to not do this trade. Um, however, with the Bucks' limited options here, I just put put together a package um, similar to that of a Chris Paul, but you removed the Eric Bledsoe from that trade. One because. Why, like, there's the Pacers just simply don't want an Eric Bledsoe. I could see him going to a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder that we had that we had mentioned, but because um, with uh, Bledsoe's playoff performances, I don't see a team with real uh, playoff aspirations um, really putting a lot of their chips in for an Eric Bledsoe. But I could see them doing that if we were to remove him from the trade, as we don't need to. With the salary that we'd be getting back, if we and then we would only have to send a George Hill, uh, an Ursan Ilias Sova after we guarantee his contract, concluding his season total at nine and not getting to ten seasons, unfortunately. But then um, I believe we'd we'd also have to send out some sort of real asset, and that being uh, Dante Divincenzo or uh, the Indiana pick. Ironically, we'd be sending this back to. 
uh, the Pacers. But I think there is a chance that we could get away with just maybe including one of those two, considering how, how much Oladipo's value has um, really diminished there with uh, health concerns and the uh, shortness and length of his remaining contract. And um, so, yeah, hopefully we could get away with only with only uh, giving up one of those two uh, real young assets that we have. I don't really have any have any uh, inclination as to whether or not they would choose the pick versus Dante or vice versa. They definitely probably don't really feel the need to get their pick back, not only because they sent it away for a reason, but they, I bet they feel pretty good about that trade now considering... Uh, Brogdon's output and um, not a terrible uh, injury track record for them this past season, but he did have a, he did have some hiccups there. But so say we were to just send George Hill or San Eliasova and Dante Divincenzo for Victor Oladipo, um, the the numbers would work there along with the one hundred twenty five percent plus a hundred thousand dollar rule in which. Um, with those total salaries of the three Milwaukee Bucks players totaling to uh, just a little bit over $19 million, we would be able to take in uh, just shy of $23.9 million there. So with Victor making $21 million next season, he falls within that threshold for the Milwaukee Bucks. And that will do it for the mailbag, but I will... Uh, wrap up here as I have been lately with the uh, brief draft analysis. And this week we have a Leandro Balmero. Uh, he's uh, six. <laughs> well, he's similar to Chris Middleton. He has that. Uh, he has that height of six feet and seven inches. Although he is he is a a pretty thin, uh, only uh, 185 pounds at that height. But he does have a, I guess, not a negative wingspan like the Desmond Bain that we went over last week. He has a respectable six, six foot eight inch wingspan. Now I'll go over his pros and cons as I always do. He's a crafty ball handler, creator, and finisher. He interestingly often uses a uh, same foot, uh, same hand. <coughs> Excuse me, finishes. And he has a really, uh, he has a really quick uh, first step and changes of pace that he uses to get to the basket and finish with those uh, interesting same foot, same hand layups. He has a, he's an effective floater and a reverse game and is really great in transition. Trans, transition. He has a solid shooting touch and is a good pass with both hands. He's uh, has a reputation of being a solid. Uh, Decision maker, specifically on drives, and he has quick feet and uh, good in- instincts on the defensive end. And he's he's pretty good at like moving, sliding his feet. He uses a uh, a cross step pretty well, which I'll I'll give you my attempt at trying to just dis- trying to describe this. It's kind of like it would be like if he's if he's pedaling backwards to keep up with someone who's uh, proceeding from the backcourt. It'd be kind of like he's making zigzagging and making making Z's with his with his uh, backwards 
backward pedaling. Uh, I maybe I maybe did describe that great there, but uh, you you can go look at the tape there with Leandra, and maybe maybe you'll see that for yourself. So he utilizes this cross step, and he's also effective in in in, in avoiding screens along with this. So those are his pros, but um, some of some of the negatives on or the knocks on Leandro is that he is a bit too flashy and with his passing and needs to uh, keep his composure there, take a little less risks when he's making passes. Uh, and he has to uh, tighten his handle, although he is he is crafty and can get to the lane. Um, yeah, he, he, he just needs to keep keep that handle tighter uh, to so that he hopefully doesn't doesn't get it ripped away from him as as much once he is going up against NBA defenders. Like we had mentioned, he does need to add uh, uh, weight and strength. As as uh, as uh, me, the lonely uh, podcaster here with zero uh, zero basketball experience, has a solid twenty pounds on the guy. So uh, yeah, gotta gotta get in that weight room and uh, gotta gotta start counting those macros, Leandro. That would that would be my uh, amateur uh, strength and conditioning advice to you, Mister Balmero. Um. But he's he was referred to in this video that I was watching as a solid draft and stash candidate. And uh, that right there was a big turnoff for me, obviously, as the Bucks still being title contenders despite uh, this playoff performance. Uh, we're definitely not really looking for draft and stash candidates, although you did see it a lot with the Spurs once they were trying to do some... Uh, cat maneuvering because if uh if leandro were to remain playing in europe he could um for for that amount of time he he's he, his contract would not count against our books but i think i think we 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 kind of want to more so uh get that young talent in and hopefully find some diamonds in the rough because we def we do need help and depth uh unlike some of those uh early 2000s spurs teams that i had mentioned uh, he only had shot uh, 42.3% from the field and 28.1% from three across all Euro leagues in 2020. And he also needs to improve his team defense, stay in position. And as I had mentioned before with his passing, but also uh, on defense, he needs to gamble less um, and not be as much of a steals hunter. All right, and then on that note, um, I'll I'll close here, which I do uh, every week. And now, if some of you are, are getting getting sick of these topics, I would I would just like to maybe implore yourself to check yourself at the door or at your podcast app, because. Frank, frankly, I don't, I don't give a damn, and I'm, and I'm given, given enough reason to uh, talk about social injustice and racism throughout this, throughout this country, and um, yet again, I've experienced it somewhat in my own backyard, quite literally, and even more, more literal for some close friends of mine, as the 
Wauwatosa Police Department announced just this past Wednesday, October 7th, that a Joseph Mensah would not be disciplined for the murder of 17-year-old uh, Alvin Cole back in February 2nd. Now, admittedly, I don't know all the particulars about this, and I know that there was a firearm uh, involved with both parties, which I know makes it really tough on a police officer and... Um, and yeah, probably hard hard for me to relate, but my issue here more so well not only not only the fact that this was uh Joseph Mensa's third murder within the past 5 years with the Wabatosa Police Department and he's yet to be really held really truly held accountable for any of those um is just kind of like the attitude of some of the people uh not like right around, not right around me. No one who whom I'm uh, extremely co close with, but just just through well, mainly Facebook, of course. As uh, Boom Boomer Nation, as we know, is uh, runs rampant on that app. Um, so some of some of the older generation reacting to uh, some of the damage of property and fires, broken wind. I mean, I mean, I don't even know if it was that that extreme. I think there were only some broken windows that I know of on to some businesses on the intersection of Highway 100 and Swan. In fact, one of my close friends works at Swan. So, um, I mean, I'm sure it may it may be inconvenienced him and his and his job mildly there, um, but. But I just think it's silly when I hear, um, hear uh, older, older white uh, parents and adult in my community reacting and reacting in defense of broken property over over lost lives of those in our community. I just sort of at a loss for words here, but I think there there's. There's clear evidence to show that that this police officer specifically um, is too gun happy, for lack of a better words, and and at the very least um, needs to be disciplined or or held held accountable in some sort of way, be forced to do some sort of sort of reteaching, because because this this isn't the sole job of of a police officer to 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 just to just shoot people, and so. I just I just think that specifically people in my my community need to take that into consideration that that uh, that these buildings and these businesses do ha do still have the chance to to rebuild and and prosper especially especially in our privileged community but but the lives of those shot specifically these these three these three young men in our community murdered within the past five years by this same individual will not have that same opportunity. So, uh, despite the actual circumstances of, of each shooting, I just, I, I think, I think we should all take that into consideration and not, not be so quick to jump into the, into the defense of some, some, uh, gosh dang broken windows that, that will be, that will be replaced in a heartbeat. So, Moving on from there, we also had some additional news, unfortunately, on this topic, um, and that was a 22-year-old Sean Lucas, a uh, Texas police officer, murdering a 31-year-old Jonathan 
uh, price after price had um, had uh, been breaking up an altercation on Saturday, October third. Um, but uh, clearly, this twenty this twenty this twenty two year old police officer was um, he was clearly clearly in the wrong, and he is now uh, in custody with uh, his bail set at one million dollars. Of course. Like Joe Mensa, we'll have to wait a long period of time to hear uh, the verdict on a Sean Lucas. But this right here, of course, beyond the obvious tragedy of, of the murder of another of another black man at the hands of a police officer, um, points to the importance of police having having those body cameras on. Because uh, despite uh, there being plenty of witnesses here in this moment, um, I wonder. I can't help but wonder how how uh, different uh, justice would have been served, or maybe uh, maybe if injustice would have been served here in this case, and not just in Sean Lucas's case, but many other cases, if body cameras weren't around. So that's very important, and uh, I guess I'll I'll be looking for ways to. Uh, maybe maybe linking a petition to supporting. Uh, body cameras in communities where that isn't enforced maybe even in our in our own backyard um or also links to see if we can donate to help uh some of these some of these protesters and uh yeah these these brave brave individuals standing up against uh this police officer who who three times within the past five years managed to fail to de-escalate situations and and uh, not not only pulled out his firearm and fired it, but uh, killed three people. And there's 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 no good excuse for that. We need to have more more protocols in place for our police officers uh, everywhere across the nation, uh, so that so that people aren't getting murdered. Because that's that's not the job of police officers. And uh, yeah, that's my stance. And uh, to stop myself further from uh, rambling on here on um, something that I may I may not be the best person obviously to touch on these topics I think it's important to uh, keep fighting the good fight and speaking up especially when I sit here reporting on a sport that um, that is 80 that has 80 percent uh, black players and I if if they're in a way supporting me, by providing a product that that I love so dearly, I want to, I want to try even, even at risk of failing to support them as well. So, Black Lives Matter. Rest in peace, Jonathan Price, Alvin Cole, and I'll see you in another life, brother. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started.
Thank you for tuning in to Nuck If You Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast. We hope you join us again. See you in another life, brother.